It was a dark and stormy night as a young man sped down the country lane of Milford Road to his girlfriend's house outside Oxford, Ohio. Eager to see her again, he momentarily lost focus on driving and missed the 90-degree turn towards her family farm on Earhart Road, causing him to careen into a wire fence where he was decapitated. Or so the story goes. Tonight we talk about the Oxford light and similar spook lights with our friend James Willis. Hello and welcome everyone to another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I am your host Kat Cloco and tonight with me in the shadows of course are Jen and Christina. They'll come by and say hello when we summon them a little bit later. Also, you can follow us on social media at CincabinetCurio on Twitter and at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And if you have your own hometown haunt that you would love to share with us, we love to hear it. Please send it to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. We love them. Keep on coming. We're an official podcast that can be heard on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and SoundCloud. Find us by searching the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. And please remember to rate and review us so other spooky lovers like you can find us. Of course, like always, there's a link in the show notes. And Christina would like me to remind you that our next issue of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities is almost finished, and you can get a copy of your own this October during our Kickstarter, and we have lots of other fun goodies. I know I just finished a very fun Mermaids of the Ohio River sticker for our uh, Kickstarter. So it looks great. I love it, and other people have loved it too. Now... For our guest tonight, he has come back all the way from episode 10, is our friend James Willis. We are pleased to welcome him back. He's Ohio's preeminent writer of The Strange and Spooky. Books he has written include Weird Ohio, Weird Indiana, Ohio's Historic Haunts, Central Ohio Legends and Lore, The Big Book of Ohio Ghost Stories, and much more. All of them are on my bookshelf directly located to my left. So thank you, James, for coming back on the show with us tonight. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be back here. No pressure with that introduction on me, by the way. Yeah, none whatsoever. (laughs) It's just us talking about fun spook lights throughout the Midwest tonight. And man, are there a lot. I was looking it up just to refresh my memory. And I'm like, holy, people are seeing spook lights everywhere. They, they are. And it's interesting because I, I grew up in uh, New York state, you know, in the shadow of the, the headless horseman. And so I'd always been fascinated with headless horsemen. And when I moved to Ohio, I found out that the headless ones are now ghost lights and they're riding motorcycles. So I kind of, I guess, upgraded from a, a horse to a, um, not going to quote Bon, yeah, I'll quote Bonjo, I guess, to a steel horse or something like that. I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, there are a lot of uh, spook lights, ghost lights, and I- I've been infatuated with them since I uh, I moved to Ohio in uh, 1999. So I've been chasing them down for decades now. Yeah, and they're really well known throughout the world in folklore. Like uh, corpse candles is one thing they're called. I think over in Great Britain, in Japan, they're either called hitodama or onibi, which can mean like uh, demon or devil light. And they're found all over and there's interesting folklore and someday we'll do an entire episode on just 
non-American versions of the spook light. But tonight we'll focus on our very own Oxford light. So you have Ghosts of Ohio, which is your paranormal team. And you have also looked into the Oxford light. So how did you come into, I don't want to say contact with the Oxford light, but how did you become aware of it? Interestingly enough, I had, when I moved to Ohio, I started with another headless motorcycle ghost, which was the, the Elmore rider in Elmore, Ohio. And when I got into that, I, it was the same sort of story where you have a, a guy in a motorcycle who gets into an accident. And if you go there, um, you flash your lights and honk your horn and do all those kind of ritualistic sort of things the ghost light would appear. But what was what drew me to the Elmore one initially was that there was a date associated with it. So they said that if you wanted to see the light, you had to go there on March 21st, which really got me interested because I'm like, okay, well, that's now kind of dipping into folklore because March 21st, you've got the vernal equinox, the idea of things coming back to life. You know, is that where this story originated? Because I've always been whether I'm writing about a ghost story or I'm investigating it, I want to know the origin of what I'm looking for. And the other thing that was fascinating about the Elmore writer is there is a very famous um, incident, if you will, from 1968, I believe Richard Gill, who had an encounter where they went out and several times they sort of uh, summoned the light and actually had reaction to it. The light, sort of answered the flashing of the car headlights and came towards them. So I was just really into it and went out there several times and absolutely nothing happened um, and got a little disappointed. But the interesting thing is, as I started to dig into the history, I found that it predated not only the bridge it was supposed to cross and when I heard that, I went back to my headless horseman days, the whole idea of something headless having to cross the bridge. But um, there are stories that predate not only a bridge being there, but also predate the idea of it being someone on a motorcycle. The original stories that have been traced back way before then involved a quote unquote spook light moving down the side of the road and then disappearing inside of the quote unquote spook house and that people going by would go by there not only to see it coming down the road but to see the light inside of the house so that was really fascinating to me especially since the biggest thing with the elmore rider is what bridge does he go over Mm -hmm. and They say that it moves all over the place. The reason I found for that is once the uh, house, the haunted house, the spook house got knocked down and went away, the story started moving and it eventually just went to these bridges. So the interesting thing is when people say, well, how do I find the bridge that the Elmore rider goes over? I'm like, you're not really looking for a bridge. Actually, you're looking for a road that there is a bridge on, but you're in the wrong place. So, um, and an, another thing that was just fascinating is as the story progressed, it started taking on 
more classic urban legend aspects. So there was a period of time that they would tell you, don't go out there because there's, there's Satanists hiding in the bushes. And when they know you're there because you flash your lights, they're going to get you. There was a version of a hook man that was there at one time that would come out and get you. And so the folklore fan in me just loved the idea. And so I have a very, uh, soft spot for the Elmore Rider, but all in all, in terms of actual encounters, no matter how many times I went out there, I couldn't get anything. And so when I heard, oh, well, there's a very similar story down in Oxford, Ohio. And so I said, well, what's the story? And they said, well, it's a, um, a guy and he's going to visit his girlfriend. And he's on a motorcycle and he cra almost the same exact story. And I said, well, do you have to go down there on March 21st? And they were like, no, you can go anytime you want. <laughs> to which I said, okay, that's cool. So I went down there, but in the back of my mind, I was thinking Elmore is kind of close to Bowling Green and Oxford is close to Miami University. So I thought originally I was going to find that someone went to school in and around Elmore and then went to college or university in Oxford and took their story with them. But I wasn't expecting to find anything. And lo and behold, I not only found a wife, <laughs> my, my, my lovely wife, Stephanie, and her family are from Oxford, um, Ohio. Oh, I didn't but know I that. Was, I, I was able to, that was what was funny is the introduction that you read when you said that a young man was barreling down the road. I was like, is, is she talking about me? <laughs> because, <laughs> so, um, yeah, we, we did not meet in Oxford, but um, my, my mother-in-law, Steph's mom, actually worked for Miami University. They still have connections down there. So it didn't take me long to actually find the road where you were supposed to go and find the spot. Um, again, not expecting to find anything. Um, and I have, I've got to think for a moment, but I started doing that around 2003, visiting there. And it became a fun thing to do because every time we were going to go visit the relatives, we try to see the ghost. And I probably have two dozen times have actually seen the light, so to speak. Um, wow. And it has driven me mad because... Um, Unfortunately for me, experiences don't equate to evidence, really. And while I have uh, numerous videos and photographs of this light, um, I, I don't know what it is. Um, it, it always is on the same side of the road. It is always coming when you are traveling, I believe it's south on the road. It is always coming towards you in the opposite lane. It looks about the size of a motorcycle light. It, I have, you can tell in videos, it is giving off, given, giving one of those. It's got its own light. So you, it, you can actually see it reflecting off of the road in front of it. It is in the middle of the road. The joke is, I tell people I lived uh, outside of Atlanta for a few years. So I know what a car with one headlight looks like. It's not shifted to the side. It's in the middle of the road, right about the height of a motorcycle headlight. There is no sound. Um, and it is coming towards you. And when you reach a certain point, it just goes out. Um, and it goes out on a hilly yet straight on a straightaway. So, and it doesn't, 
it doesn't go out like this, like something turning. It's coming straight towards you, albeit in the other lane, and it just blinks out. The first time that I encountered it, I kind of floored it to get up to that spot because I was convinced I was going to see a bunch of frat boys running away from a moped laughing, you know, but there was nothing there. Um, so I don't know what it is. Um, the great thing is that um, my in-laws still allowed me to marry Stephanie after finding out that I did this. And I knew I was in their good graces when they heard the story and my mother-in-law said, I want to go. So my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my daughter, um, they've all gone with me and at various times have seen it. Um, for me, the most interesting thing is that when I was with my mother-in-law one time, the light, we were on the opposite. We just drive up and down the road. Because I tell people, if you go out there, do not stop the car. You don't have to flash your lights. If you do, you will probably see the very scary um, Oxford or Miami University police who don't care mm -hmm. about headless ghosts. So um, we don't do any of the ritual that you're supposed to do. We just drive up and down the road. And there were several instances, including when my mother-in-law was in the back seat, where the light came up behind us. And as I'm slowing down, it is gaining. So it is moving. And then it just blinks out. Um, we have the only thing that we have not yet tried successfully is to, we have had people at opposite ends of the road and tried to get it using our, we had walkie talkies, then we graduated to cell phones. That's how long we've been trying this, where when the one group actually saw it, they would drive towards it and the other group would come down the road to see if they could catch up to it. That never was, we weren't successful with that. The people on the other side never saw it. So it is, you know, there is never, um, some people say that it is actually the, a car that is, uh, the road sort of tees off or a four-way intersection at the end. Um, they say that you're seeing a, a light coming up from one of the headlights as it's rounding a turn. I've never been able to make that happen. Um, some people have said that it is a car with two headlights coming towards you, but that it's so far back that the two lights merge into one in the middle, like an optical illusion. I've never been able to have that happen. And I've done that everywhere. Usually when I leave Oxford and I'm driving home at night and I see a car in the distance, I, I'm like, maybe those two lights will merge into one. And then I'll see this sort of optical illusion. I've never seen that. And again, that light is always, it's in the middle of the road. So um, the other thing that we are trying to figure out is that if we get on opposite ends of the road and we're there at night, and we see it at the one end that we shoot a laser pointer or some sort of laser visual marker at it so that the people coming from the other side can see what we're pointing at. Um, locals really don't like people driving up and down the road, shining lasers around. <laughs> so it's not something we've actually gotten too serious about, but we've also driven up and down the road in broad daylight when it's raining thinking that if this is some sort of optical illusion created either by another car or something, since it's raining, they'll have their headlights on. So we'll be able to see something and that's never been successful. So we've never been able 
to recreate it. Um, and I think I mentioned, but if not, the weirdest thing to me is there is no noise. There is no noise. Um, in some versions of the legend, the light will pass you and then you're supposed to be able to see his brake lights. We've never gotten the light to pass us and we've never seen mm, tail a tail light or a red light. It's always a single white light dead center in the middle of the road. <laughs> wow, that is incredible. Like just the amount of stuff that you told me, I'm like, does it, it <laughs> sounds like kind of, caffeine was no, kicking in there. That's fine. No, it, it was it was wonderful. Um wow, there's just so much to unpack here. So my first initial question just kind of as an investigator and a historian is when you were seeing this light, did you see it at a particular time set? Like, did it show up between like 9 PM and 9 30? Was there any kind of not correlation, but pattern happening? I'd have to go back and look at the, my notes. I, I take copious notes about everything, but the initial time, the very first time that I saw it, I want to say it was around 10 o'clock, but there is no, Looking back at, again, you're talking in over a decade's worth of data that we've gotten from this, other than it being dark, there is no, there's, when we put all of the times when we've seen it, there is no correlation between any of it. It doesn't, this is the, one of my big sarcastic things, but I am actually serious. The ghost does not adhere to daylight savings time. So <laughs> it's, you know, so I, I, it's always something that I always find when people are like, we always see the ghost at nine ten, And I'm like, well, how does it know about daylight savings time? You know? So um, I'm being a bit sarcastic, but I'm also being like, okay, well, that's a legit that to me. thing. Yeah. It's, it's no longer a residual to me because even though it's doing the same thing at the same time, how is it adjusting for that? But um, so we track everything from weather conditions, the road conditions, the time of year, um, all of that. And there is no other than it being, fully dark out we have never been able to see the light <laughs> it's like the fourth time i've said that we've never seen the light during the day we've never seen the light when and at any particular time it's just got to be pitch black out out there wow so that kind of goes with a lot of other ghost lights that i did read about but it, it's where they just will show up like the paulding light happens every night in paulding michigan and um, also for our listeners who aren't in Ohio, the difference between Elmore and Oxford is several hours because Elmore is up in Sandusky County, isn't it? Like Ottawa, yeah, so, like yeah, around Toledo? top of the state or bottom of the state. Yeah. So yeah, you're driving yeah. from you Cleveland area down, yeah, down to Cincinnati-ish kind of yeah. top to bottom. Yeah. So it, we're not talking about close-knit communities here, like they're hours apart. So it's interesting that we have two different situations. Now going back to the what, two different situations, the same story, but in two locations, but one where the light is showing up and the other one has really gone turned into folklore. No one's really seen it. Like yeah. when you look up Oxford light or a spook light in Ohio, Oxford shows up, even though Elmore may have started it which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, as I said, Richard Gill was the one who in 68 went out and do a uh, kind of did an experiment there. And, and sadly he passed away a few years ago, but I am friends with his, his son. Um, oh. And we kind of met over me at a presentation, bringing up the, 
the whole idea of Elmore because that was that was the one that got me started. So yeah, that is one that as the, you're exactly right. As the years went by, it sort of faded, even though it was clearly the original one. And that's not to say that the Oxford. I've traced back versions of that. They also had a group of uh, Satanists were incorporated into the Oxford one. There was also, it was around the time where oh, I'm dating myself here, but it was around the time where it started this thing where they said that um, it was around Halloween time and somebody went on Oprah psychic supposedly and said that there was a serial rapist running around and they were the, dressed as little Bo Peep and things like that. There yeah. was a period of time where the Oxford story switched from being the, the story, the, the general story of the Oxford version is that the boyfriend was summoned to the girlfriend's house because she was signaling that her parents were asleep and she was flashing the porch light that did change to that there was a serial rapist killer something roaming around and that she was home alone and was flashing the porch light to have him come down to sort of rescue her but that only lasted a few years and then it reverted back to the original story there's also interestingly enough a uh, an offshoot version of the Oxford motorcycle ghost which involves a boy on a bicycle with a headlight which is over on I think it's Buckley Road, which is two streets over. Um, mm -hmm. That was a story that was created by um, the locals who basically needed a new place to go out and scare each other because the Oxford police were staking out <laughs> Oxford Milford Road. So they just kind of moved it over. But there's there's nothing to that particular story. But it does go back to the idea that Oxford is a, a story now that has become the leader of headless motorcycle ghosts. Yeah. And it, it's interesting just it, why I wanted to focus on these stories is how much they have changed over time. And with the Oxford light evolved to um, go with certain concerns in the zeitgeist at the time, like with the rapist, which yes. would have been like, the 80s maybe late 70s and then the satanists of course the satanic panic of the yep. later 80s and the 90s yep. and and then we have it go back to now that those things i won't say they're resolved in society but now there it's back to being a good old headless motorcyclist just driving down the road yes it, it there's so many so much to unpack here so how what is the latest like evidence that you have found of reporting of the Oxford light happening in terms of people seeing it. Yeah. It's being, it's still seen. It sounds weird. Like it, it is still seen today, but yeah, I, I have people that still write into my website and things like that. And they have seen it still even this year. So mm -hmm. it is, it is something that again, I think it, in terms of ghost stories in general, not just in Ohio, but in general, it's very rare that you come across something where people across decades and decades have reported seeing something and that someone has not been like, you know what, this is what it is. It's not, it's, it's that it can't, 
it hasn't been explained yet. Whereas if it were as easy as it being a, a reflection off the road, I'm sure at some point, someone much, much smarter than me would have figured that out. If it was a car that's coming down in that thing that I said, where some people say it's two lights merging into one, that you would be able to find evidence of that or that someone would have gone out to that road and been able to replicate it. I, I've tried to because I, my whole thing is that I, I think in order to be taken seriously in this field, you have to admit that there's a lot of BS out there. I, and mm -hmm. there is a lot that is were never true. There are some exaggerations, but there were some that were never true. But it doesn't mean that that's not part of folklore and part of our history and still can't be sort of celebrated and talked about because you have generations that are going out legend tripping and never encountering anything. But it's part of their upbringing. But this kind of stands with a very select few where you can go out there and not perform any weird rituals to do anything. You just go out there. And if you're there at the right time, you're going to see something that is collectively become known as the Oxford motorcycle ghost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's so few locations across the United States, at least where you can potentially see this without any ritual happening. We yeah. mentioned the Paulding light. The other one that comes to mind are the Brown mountain lights. Yes, where yeah. you can just be there. And those stories were recorded in the early 1900s, but people reported them beforehand. And that's yes. where we have a lot of interesting, for our listeners, interesting issues when we're collecting these stories via folklore as folklorists, basically. Um, we have a lot of oral retellings of stories. So they've been around for decades, but no one bothered to write them down until really the early 1900s is a lot of when these records start. Um, and even like in Texas, I, I wrote down actually a whole bunch of locations and just to start seeing if there was any correlation or patterns. And the other pattern, I will say the motorcyclist is unique to Oxford. I haven't really found any other motorcyclists. The one that I've seen the most, and this includes the Paulding Light and then also the St. Louis or St. Louis Ghost Train from Saskatchewan, Canada, yeah. is that they are both, and many other Midwestern ones, their line brakeman without a head carrying a lantern is said to like haunt the stretch of uh, road or the old rail line or whatever it is. And when I read this, the thing that I think about is, at least in my neighborhood, they just turned an old rail line into one of those biking and walking paths. So how many ghost lights are we going to start getting from these old biking and walking paths? And there's also the same exact story that you just said is associated with the Moonville Tunnel as well. Yeah, exactly. And now the story, which... The one version of that that I heard that I'm like, okay, this doesn't make any sense was that it was, I believe it was a brakeman that they said, I should preface this again by saying there is no truth to this, but that he was having an affair with the conductor's wife and the conductor found out and said, say, can you get out? I think there's st something stuck underneath the train wheel. And the guy did. And that's how he became headless. And I'm like, I don't know about the logistics of that, that, uh, you know, it's not like you can really peel out on a train, but there are also stories. The original stories are, he does have a head, but that it was, he was going out to try to flag down 
the train that was actually coming in and he was walking on the tracks. It's hard to, there was actually, I did find that there had been a train accident there where someone had died. So again, you have the idea that the folktales might've gotten a bunch of it wrong, but you've got that little kernel sitting in there of fact, could they have sprung forth from that? Yeah. And a fun thing is the transmission of that story to the Tunnelton Tunnel in Indiana, which is a Southern Indiana, uh-huh. same exact story, except for instead of becoming headless by being run over by the train, he's hung by the tunnel. So in the tunnel, he's hung from there. And then you see not only the ghost lantern, but also the hanging body from the tunnel. And uh, as we discovered with our, we did the Maud Hughes Road Screaming Bridge oh, a few yes. episodes ago, because <laughs> it's featured in this upcoming Cabinet of Curiosities book. And there was a real train accident there that actually killed an engineer, but in 1976. And we also have a ghost light there as well that shows up. So it, it's interesting where they show up and how, but the remarkable thing about the Oxford light, it, I want to make sure I'm in my head, I'm illustrating this correctly. There's a self-illuminating orb going down the road and you're able to pass it on un- oncoming as oncoming traffic, correct? We, but we, we're, it's coming towards us, but we never get to the point where we pass. Okay. Yeah. And, and it, it, it looks less like, uh, when you said orb there, the, that kind of sometimes has a dirty, yeah, it does have a dirty it. connotation and ghost hunting, it, but it looks like a big headlight. Oh. Um, yeah, it, it it doesn't look like a it doesn't look like somebody holding a little flashlight. It's not a tiny pin. It looks like the best way I can describe it is that it looks like a headlight, mm-hmm. dead center in the road. You can see the light from it reflecting off of the road in front of it. Um, the, but yeah, to, to answer your question, it's, it, we, you never pass it. You're supposed to be able to pass it in some versions. Um, but we have never caught up to it. There's been times where we've been on the opposite end of the road coming towards it. Um, but it comes up behind you and then disappears. Yeah. So we got a question from Christina. She, she wrote in from the great beyond asking about the dirty connotation of orbs in ghost hunting. That's that's, it's a different topic for a different evening. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, to, to really answer the question, it's, Oh my goodness. So much. And Jen will just, cause Jen's our photographer. It so much dust and hair and insects get reported as being orbs and, yeah, and I was trying they're... to be funny by saying dirt, yeah. dirty, and, and I, yeah. I just went south with it. So I apologize. Yeah, for that. But that titillated Christina. So she's just like, what's so bad about, do you know how many t-shirts of, let me show you my orbs I've seen at ghost hunting conventions? What does that mean? Hats? I don't understand I, that. I don't get it either. And they just are perfectly aligned in the middle of the shirt and it's only women wearing it. That's it. like a misprint or something. I don't. I don't I understand that. Yeah. I think there's an error, but yeah, it it's ha. Oh my goodness! I just missed the conventions and the and the delightful weirdness that came. <laughs> so actually, one of my random questions, and this is coming completely out of left field, 
is a lot of these stories that I was reading tend to have started being really becoming popular in, in, in storytelling the zeitgeist around the 1940s to the 1960s. Do you think maybe some of these stories are just exaggerations thanks to the UFO craze? I I. I don't know if it's exaggeration, but there, there's always been that opens up the, uh, this is my, if I haven't said it before, I need to trademark it, that these are things where we go into what I call my two bottle conversations, because you need two yes. bottles of your favorite alcohol. And we were promised drink. one of these last time. So, uh, okay, let's go. Um, there are people that subscribe to the idea that these spook lights, if you will, ghost lights or things like that, are actually extraterrestrial that they are not and that's why because if you think about it when people say they see a ufo what do they most generally report it's a light that's self-illuminating in the sky well who's to say that it's not the same thing we're just seeing them on the ground a lot of these spook lights or ghost lights are actually in the again the oxford one are the ones where they're motorcycles or, or in some cases the the uh people with lanterns they're closer to the ground, but a lot of them, including like the Brown Mountain Lights, the Marfa Lights, they're higher up. Mm-hmm. So are you not looking at, we would say as you know, a traditional ghost, are you looking at something extraterrestrial? They're, the one that light that I always found fascinating um, is in, uh, I think it's Hornet, Missouri. But yes. That- that one they push back and say that the original reports they connect that to the trail of tears and that's mm-hmm. pretty unique and that they are again a very sad and very tragic long event unfortunately but that's kind of unique in that they're pushing it back that far kind of the comment that you made earlier a lot of them that began in, you know with the 40s and and moving up not only did you sort of have the UFO flaps that were going on all during that, but you also had the idea that people were now getting into cars. And then after that, you see a lot of references, including in the Elmore version, to that he came back from the Great War. That's the original mm-hmm. thing. The guy's on his motorcycle. He's coming back from the Great War. Well, you've now got more people going out because World War II had ended. And, you know, okay, well, now we can go spend money. So now you started having motorized vehicles becoming more prevalent. So does that mean that people were actually seeing these lights because they were like, what is that light? An automobile? What is that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, And also on top of that, as you start to move forward and you start getting into like the fifties and then the sixties, you've got the creation of these lovers lanes. So you've got people now pushing further out into these isolated things and seeing lights that are scary if for no other reason that you're not supposed to be out there doing what you're doing. And so the light in and of itself becomes a scary thing. And that sort of allows the urban legend to start growing. It also allows it to grow because you've got now the adults that are telling the kids scary stories to keep them out of those areas. So I I think there is, I do believe there is something to the idea of the UFO flaps and that being connected. I also think that sort of the rise of automobiles and in general, 
gave rise to teenagers getting in cars, going to places they shouldn't be going, and allowing those sort of urban legends to then get connected to these ghost stories. Oh, yeah. And I know after World War II, there was also a lot of people that started riding motorcycles. Yes. And then you got the motorcycle craze of the 1950s and all the greasers and everything yep. that my dad emulated to a T. It was wonderfully embarrassing to see those photos. But <laughs> yeah, you, you, so there's a lot. I love it because the story kind of in a very interesting way just follows pop culture so much throughout yes. Ohio. Yes. Yeah. Now I'm going to bring in Jen and Christina because Jen wanted to share her experience while going to, because you went to the Oxford yesterday. Yes. And I, I don't know if I was in the right spot, but I went off based on, it was on Earhart Road. Is that right, James? You would start on Earhart. And when you're going okay. down Earhart, there's a very, very sharp turn and it becomes right. Oxford Milford Road. You should okay. be at that turn facing towards the hills of um, Oxford okay. Milford Road. Okay. So that's how I came to it. And <laughs> as soon as I turned on to Earhart, there was a motorcycle there with a headlight, but it was two people. <laughs> and I just thought that was funny. Did they and have then heads though? Yes. Yes, they were very much alive. (laughs) Because it was a nice, beautiful day. A lot of motorcycles were out yesterday. And then when I got closer to the sharp turn, I got out of the car to take a picture of the sign that said it was a... And the first thing I hear is a motor. And I'm like, that sounds like a motorcycle or a chainsaw or I don't know what, but it kind of freaked me out because I didn't expect it. I expected it to be quiet. But I think it might have been an ATV or something. But I just thought that was funny. I, it was it added to the experience of at least being out there during the day. And uh, it's a really pretty street. I want to go back during the night. I did not want to go by myself. That's why I didn't go at night. So someone's going to have to go with me because I want to see it now. I'm pretty sure all of us can go and try to see okay. it. Okay. And that's yeah. pretty amazing how often you've seen the light. It, it, yeah. it got me wondering because the street I live on, I live on the corner of Ridgewood and North Bend and the road I'm on is extremely busy and mm-hmm. there are deaths all the time, like at our corner. Um, we've come back home from New Year's Eve and seen all these emergency vehicles outside our house. And the first thing you think is, oh, no, the house, but it's somebody's wrecked. And there was a motorcyclist just killed two or three years ago um, because our corner bends pretty, uh, you know, people go too fast and stuff. So there's deaths all the time. And now I'm like, well, maybe I should look and see if there's any ghost lights or if that's been there's even like a little memorial. If you drive by our house, that someone has from the person that was killed. Um, oh, that's sad. You know, and, and actually there was a wreck like a quarter mile from our house when we first moved here. And you could see a burnt spot for years afterwards where seven people had died and a bunch of kids packed in the car, you know, took a, a turn and were immolated. Um, and, you know, I often wonder maybe if there's something here, like, what do you look for? Like, I mean, our road is so busy. I wonder if you'd even notice. Yeah. And 
again, two bottle conversation, but what I've always can't really fully wrap my head around is that if this is a ghost, does how is he actually managing to bring his motorcycle back from the other side with him? You know, and <laughs> if you're looking at it as being a residual type of haunting, well, it's not replaying at the same time always. And it's not, there's, we've gone up and down that road. We normally try to go up and down each time, maybe four or five times, just run it all the way to the end, come back. And there's been times where we've got nothing. And then there's been other times where it's happened going both ways. So there it's, it's frustrating because I'm like, what, what is this? And going back to where you were mentioning earlier that um, you heard like an ATV sort of thing. I do know that right as you're going around that corner, so you're on the outside of the corner right mm -hmm. there, that farmland actually had, I believe it's closed, um, but they had ATV trails back in there. Ah. And so you might've heard somebody that had snuck out there, but I should also reiterate that each time we have seen it, there's no noise. And that to me makes it even stranger because we've listened for it. If for no other reason to be like, Oh, okay. That's what, it, that's what it is. It's this or it's something. Um, and also there are people that will say that you are seeing, it's often referred to as the barn light, which mm -hmm. is, they say, and if you are driving again down um, Oxford Milford road, and you're going over the Hills on the left-hand side, which is the same side that the light comes towards you, there is a barn rather close to the road and they do have one of those sort of LED type lights, a giant one, but it's about, I'd say two stories up in the air. I have oh. never mistook that light for being in the middle of the road coming towards me. Um, there's a, a video that I show hopefully this October too, that I show at my presentations when I do talk about it, because in that one particular video, even though it bobs up and down a little bit, it's one of the few times that we managed to get the light on video at the same exact time that you can see the barn light. So you see both at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we are not, I'm not saying that some people aren't seeing the barn light, but I've never mistook the two. And in the video that we have, you can see, both coming at the same, you know, you see the barn light sitting up there. And then the interesting thing is you see the barn light, you see the barn light. And then all of a sudden, bam, right underneath it hmm. comes the motorcycle light. And in that particular video, I want to say that you can see the Oxford light 15, 20 seconds. So it's not one of these things where if you blink, you miss it. It's something that I tell people go down there and you'll know when you see it. You know, wow. it's, it, you, you there's, I, I don't know anyone that could look at it and say that it's the barn light or it's any, when you see it, you think that's a motorcycle coming towards me. Right. So does no it shine <laughs> white? Does it flicker at all? No, it's, it's, it's a solid white light. Like, like I said, like, like a headlight or a really big flashlight. I mean, it's about that big around oh wow hmm. yeah, yeah and i i noticed when i was out there there is no like reflective paint or anything on the road itself 
I mean, yeah, it's they, a it's a narrow road. You it almost you can almost mistake it for a single lane road. So, yes, but there's yes. no there's no. I mean, down further where the hills are, there were the yellow lines, but nothing yes. like none of those little reflectors they put on the highway, so you don't veer into the opposite lane. Right, and again, those. Yeah. Light, you're, you're right. There are, and in the videos that I show, I point out the reflective surfaces just so people can see it and mm -hmm. they can look at it and go, okay, yeah, that's clearly a reflective surface. There's, right. um, there were several, I think there's maybe two left that the, um, along that, but on the same side of the road you would, you would be driving on. Um, some of the mailboxes have reflectors. Oh, uh, yeah. As well, but again, wrong side of the road. And right it's not moving it's no. it's not it's it, it's not that you are seeing this whatever it is this light and it is not moving that you can tell that the light is definitely moving it goes below the hills it's it's on the road going up and down wow. over the hills we have video that when we you can see it and then we dip down below a hill and you can't see it and then when we crest the hill it comes right up over the hill so wow. it, it is, it is definitely moving and you can visually tell that where it blinks out is not where it started. Like I said, you're talking about travel mm -hmm. time, about 15, 20 seconds down that road. And, and with, with there not being any sound, I, I don't know what could cause that that somebody could escape <laughs> for lack of a better term. You know, like I said earlier, like a moped or somebody just, driving that to get up that quick to it it, I, it doesn't seem like they could make a clean getaway but but to answer your question that i apologize i think you asked like 20 minutes ago you know it's it's always a solid white light it's uh we never see the red ones it's never blue it never it never rises further above the road. It never goes, you know, it, it might appear that it's dropping a little bit down, but it's not like it floats up into the sky. Um, it's always been on that one side of the road coming towards you. And it's always been the same color. And forgive me if you said this before, does it pass you or it just no. kind of, you would only see it in front of you or behind you, not on the side. C correct. Th there are people that have reported seeing it pass there was also a very old version of the story that said afterwards it it would blink out at the curve which is supposedly where he crashed mm. and then that if you waited long enough you would see two headlights of an ambulance that would go past you and then you mm. would see the taillights of the ambulance which is kind of sad because the ghost ambulance sort of stopped at the curb and picked him up but that's anyway that's uh, pretty involved yeah it is <laughs> for, but, but no, for an apparition <laughs> it's yeah it's never passed us and in the the times where we've been on the other side of the road and it's come up behind us and i've tried to slow down it does appear to be gaining but it never reaches close enough where we hear anything and, and this is another important thing we've never seen a form so hmm. it's it's just a light. We've never been able to make out anything, be it a, a rider or the, the outline of a, a motorcycle or anything. It's just a bright white light coming towards you. Hmm. Now, when you looked at folk history, because I, I noticed um, some of the stuff Kat has here, like seeing Elmo's fire and swamp gas, um, is, is there like 
<clears throat> Will of the Wisps, is this kind of in that category too? And is that like pre-vehicle, like pre-cars, pre- The like... Will of the Wisps or the Oxford Light? Mm -hmm. Predating it. Oh, so which... they did actually have that before. No, he's asking which one do you, are you referring to? Yeah. Are I you mean, talking about Will-O-Wisps or the Oxford Light? Well, I'm wondering if they're the same thing. Like if there was some sort of light there before, because aren't Will-O-Wisps kind of similar to what the Oxford Light is, seeing a light that's disembodied? And it's I been around for a long time. I think that it could be. It does not date. I've been able to trace it back or stories of that back into the early to mid 70s, 1970s, mm -hmm. which is what led me to believe that Elmore started it all and somebody just took the legend down there and then just said, oh, wow, you guys have a light down here? Here's what the story is, because I've never been able to find the elements of the original legend, which is a man on a motorcycle dying on the road. There's no record of that. There is a record of a man dying on a motorcycle in the 90s three or four roads over but it was in broad daylight he didn't have a helmet on there was no visiting so his death actually comes well after the story started um so that the the ghost's light story doesn't predate um cars or any sort of motorized vehicles right I mean, there are ghost stories about Willow was kind of acting as travelers on roads. Yes. And we can trace those all the way back to ancient Japan and ancient Greece. It got those kinds of stories all over. Um, and a lot going with Hecate and, and all the uh, Greek dark and, uh, gods. But I, this Willow Wisps, from how I've read them being described, are much more. I would almost say fairy-like in the way that they float, where it'll be like this. I know this is great visuals for all audio listeners. They're, they're, they're just kind of like swooping from left to right down a path. And if you've seen the movie Brave that Pixar made, they dupe Will-O-Wisp pretty well in that movie. This is a constant light going one direction down a road and that's not exactly how will-o-wisps and corpse candles have been really ever mm. described at least from my readings um swamp gas would explain them a lot kind because of, will-o-wisps can be other colors too like blue green sometimes red but uh, this is a bright bright consistent glowing white and yeah, what's also no, to that ahead. end, I've never I've never come across any report that put the light anywhere other than on that road. So there are lots of there's there's a few houses there. There is a lot of farmland on either side, especially on either side, right at the curve. And no one has ever reported seeing that light dancing in the field or, you know, floating. It's always been on the road following that same path and going in the same direction. So that's a, probably another distinction between that and say like a will of the wisp or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Well, leave it to me to go back to fave imagery and 
Well, no, like there's other ghost lights that have been known to flicker mm-hmm. and kind of move mm-hmm. around, which is yep. I wanted to bring up how I went to go see Moody's Light, which is in Rensselaer, Indiana, and it's touted much kind of much like the Oxford Light, more similar to the Paulding Light, where it's a stationary light that if you are in a single area, it will flicker and you'll see it moving and then it will go out. And this backstory with that is there's a farmer who goes out in either the elements one day with a lantern or chases his cows in another version with a lantern. And either way, he meets his end while out in the elements. And now it's his ghostly form carrying his lantern, trying to find his way home. And his home is gone and it's demolished. Well, my husband and I went out when we were first married and he went to Purdue University and uh, we were just like, hey, let's let's just go out and have some fun and see what we see. Because this is a really known, well-known uh, urban legend in the entire state of Indiana. And we go out there and, and lickety split. We see it and we're like, oh, wow, look, it's over there. And we sit here for a few minutes on the hood of the car watching it. And we're like, this is totally the reflection of the road on the other side of the hill. <laughs> <laughs> and you could see it. And it was unlike what you were describing, James. It was, it would be a white light and it would be flickering. And then occasionally you would see red and occasionally you would see blue. And if it was a party bus that drove by or a semi, it was all the colors. And that's when we realized that that's really what that was, was just the reflection off the uh, sign off one of the interstates that were going parallel to where we were. So that's the remarkable difference between what you're describing and what a lot of these ghost lights that are just reflections, they're vastly different. Yeah. Well, hopefully some of our listeners will tell us their ghost light stories if they've seen anything. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. That was way really excited there, but I I would love to hear. Yeah. It would be interesting to hear people say what they've seen in, in different areas, especially in places that are documented. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's because, I mean, you've seen it so many times that, you know, it, it somebody else has ha- had to have seen it. Oh yeah. That you, you will hear stories from, I, I can't tell you how many stories I've collected over the years. And even if you look at half of them and say, yeah, I think there might have been some other substances involved here for this particular thing you know and or or people that i'm like yeah i think you were legend tripping and just kind of made up the whole thing or you know you guys weren't even on the right road or those sort of things um there are still dozens upon dozens of reports from people that i'm like no that is exactly what i'm seeing and again i for me, it's too good to be true that it's a ghost because I'm like, this is it. But I keep going back to, but then if it's not, how come people haven't actually come forward and go, this is what it is like cat going out there and going, that's just a reflection. You know, she went in there and was able to kind of look at it and go, this is what it is. I've tried to explain it because I, I go back to, you know, I've been looking for things that go bump in the night, you know, since the mid eighties and 1980s not the 1880s um and i've this is one of the few things that i'm like i i don't know what it is you know there's there's certain things that i can look at and go nope that is a ghost that is definitely a ghost then there's other things where i'm like no it's definitely this or i'm not really sure this is one thing that i'm like it's real 
I just can't figure out what it is. And the part that always just weirds me out is that there is no sound. I don't know on if once you've been on that road at night, <laughs> you know, there's, there's nothing out there. If people have gone inside for the night, there is nothing. It's, it's one of those things where you're like, wow, I didn't realize how dark nighttime is until I moved out into the country. You know, it's that kind of dark and you're normally got your senses heightened anyway, because you're like, Oh, I'm going to see something. I'm going to see something, but then to be, yeah, I'm seeing it and I'm continuing to see it. And it's not, am I seeing this? No, it's there, but there is no noise. We've also never had a seen the light. And then when it disappears, get passed by a car. Um, so that's, I think, something important to bring up. And and flipping that around a little bit, there's never been an instance where we have seen what we thought was the light and then it magically became a car. Or we didn't see anything and or we we're like, there it is, there is the light. And like, oh, no, wait, wait a second, that's just a car. When you see a car coming down that road, every time we've been like, that's a car. I don't know if we've ever seen an actual motorcycle with a head on it. Um, but when we, you see a vehicle coming towards you right off the bat, you're like, that's a car. And if you listen, you hear it. Uh, it's just a bizarre thing that, you, and then you start getting into the two bottle conversation is something going on here because when the light appears, there is no sound. Mm -hmm. Now we, we've had instances where we've had a radio playing when we've seen it. And that does continue, but it seems as though you're like, wait, did all the noises outside of the car just stop too? And that's when you're like, okay, time to take a break now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask that because I've been on investigations before and we've had all the crickets stop. And it is the spookiest thing when you're out in a cemetery that is known to be haunted. You're seeing shadow people walking around the headstones and then suddenly the bats stop chirping and flying by, the crickets go out, and the horse that had been in the pasture next to you wanders away. And <laughs> it is so spooky. And we're like, did we have a drop in the temperature or the bio biometric pressure? What's going on? And that's an interesting thing that you'd say that even any animals stop making sound too as this thing goes down the road. And I know, Jen, you had a question. I have two. Um, one has anyone, have you ever tried to have someone standing on the side of the road and then have someone drive by like Richard Gill? I don't know who that oh, is. Oh, I, 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 you mean to actually stand on the road, not be, like be in not the in road. Yeah. Like say I would stand in someone's driveway and you would come down. Like, has anyone seen it out, been outside of a car and seen it? So I can't uh, deny or confirm that there may or may not have been people at night on the walking on the road on occasion to try to actually, I think what you're asking is, has anybody outside of a car or not been in a, in a vehicle of some sort, been like on the road, actually seeing the light? Um, no, okay. not, not to my knowledge. And all of the stories that I've collected, you're in the car. Um, mm -hmm. I think 
those stories that I've collected from people have, it's because the, the origin story, as well as all the different variations, say you have to go there in a car mm-hmm. and face towards him and then flash the lights, which is supposed to replicate the girlfriend flashing the porch lights. We have, we may or may not have actually gotten out and tried to make the light summon the light <laughs> while we were not in a vehicle. Um, again, I have to say that it's not something that I encourage because it's um, a pitch black road. It's a pitch black road. It's a very small, it's a two lane road. And the um, many of the people that live on that road have lived on there for a very long time and have grown up with the Oxford motorcycle ghost and do not um, think it's as intriguing as some other people might. So it's um, uh, you will have the authorities called on you um, if you're doing that, which is why I I tell people, if you are going to go out there, you don't flash your lights, you don't honk your horn, just drive up and down the road. But there have, there may or may not have been instances where we tried to do it. Not as many as a weird guy might've liked to have done, but it's just because we do want to be respectful of the people that live there. Mm-hmm. Have you heard from anybody that has lived or does live on the road? Any of the residents? Yes. yes. Um, can you repeat I, anything of what they've said? <laughs> the, um, I can give G-rated versions of it, sure. Um, I've spoken to <laughs> to several of them and had email communications with them over the years, um, both homeowners as well as the, uh, the people that uh, farm the land that are out there. Um, by and large, most of them could care less about it. They actually think that it's just something that they the kids come from campus to do and don't mm-hmm. think anything of it. They think it's more of a nuisance. But a few of them have reported seeing it. And interestingly enough, um, so this will be the hard part, is that I, I probably cannot, if any of your listeners write to me and tell their stories, they have to go into the maybe category because what I like to do is if I say, Hey, did you ever see the light here? Um, I make them tell me what was the story as they first heard it when they heard it and then what happened. So they don't know which way they should be facing or, you know, so it, it allows me to basically if they're telling me the same exact thing and that light is in the same spot and doing all of that, then I'm like, I think that might be a true story right there. Not saying that these other people are making it up, but it's just like, that's the light I'm looking for. Um, I have, again, I'd have to go back and look, but I would say maybe three or four either current or former residents of the area that have told me the story that puts the light in the same area of the road coming the same direction. Um, and I tend to put, give a lot more credence to them because they're kind of like what I'm doing, which is they're traveling that road a lot more than the average person would, because it's not a very well-traveled road. I mean, it's, you know, you're kind of away from campus, you're on the outskirts of, of town. So it's, it's a country road, you know, and it's, it's basically just connecting to, bigger roads, but it's, it's not something that's very well traveled, which is again, interesting is that you can go up and down that road eight or 10 times at night and not only not see the light, but not see another car. So it does in that regard, make it a little hard to try to be like, 
are they cars? Are they not cars? Because you don't have a lot, the, I guess your, your N is kind of small because you can't have a lot of car. We have actually had people in other cars purposely drive down the road towards us when we're at that vantage point to see if we can figure out if it looks the same, but it doesn't. Wow. That's really interesting. Like, I'm still trying to wrap my head around what would be following the road being self-illuminating. Like, what cause? Like, what is in the ground? What is in the air? How? <laughs> Just how? And, and, yeah, we'll see, again, two-bottle conversation. But the, but the really weird thing about that is that exactly what you said, Kat. It follows the road. So it's not like we could say, well, it kind of goes down the road. Or if you go back to the Elmore story, the original story was it kind of followed the road, but then it went off into what is now a field because there was a house there. This is always following the pattern of the road, which means the story had to be, the, had if it is a ghost, that ghost story is connected to that road, not the land, not the area. It's connected because it's following that same path. Was How there a cemetery is... before? No. Like, did they just go right over a cemetery? It's like I can't some... find any anything out there other than farmland. How old you is know, the road? When, uh, it's It's been around a while. So, I mean, it's, before it... it was paved, it was like a gravel or even dirt road? That I don't know. I only tracked it back to basically it was kind of a, I, I don't know if, if it existed before then. If I had to guess, I would say that it was a dirt road because the right at that turn is where there's just a lot of farmlands. I mean, like hundreds of acres on either side. So I would imagine that, and it looks like it's still to this day where you've got like the tractors and the combines and stuff using that road to kind of turn off and go back into the fields. But mm -hmm. that particular stretch, again, it's, you've got Oxford Milford road, which is the, the, the Hills part. And then that bumps up against Earhart road. So the two eventually were just put together to meet. So you've got two separate roads meeting at a turnoff. I'm sorry, at a bend in the road. Um, it's always interesting because people are like, well, you're telling me to go down Earhart, but you're saying it's on Oxford Milford. Well, how will I know? I'm like, you go around a turn and it just magically turns, you know, yeah. from one road to the other. And it kind of smacks a of super sharp turn. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. It, it reminds me of uh, basically two roads that were made between farms or a township and then just joined. Yes. Like, and you see that a lot in rural United States or really anywhere that's rural where you have farms and then you just need an access point to turn yep. your tractor around and, or your irrigation system or whatnot. And that's exactly. what this is. Yep. Which makes it even more interesting of why would something be showing up and going traveling down that road out of right. all the roads why that one and um, and if there was no if there was no light if you weren't seeing anything this would be very easy to write off as a cautionary tale sort of thing which is basically okay motorcycles are now a thing don't drive so fast especially on roads that are very hilly and have a really sharp turn in it but that's what i keep going back to is the Oxford one is unique in that you can see something 
on a fairly regular basis. Mm-hmm. That is really now, spooky. <laughs> yeah. Are you ever going to write a book about this? It well, it it appears in bits and pieces in in a couple of my books. Um, the there is a boatload of research that's on it. So um, with me, with my research, I tend to not like to publish it until I can find some sort of formal conclusion. But I would think that um, a lot of my stuff gets sort of wonky as to whether or not it should get put out because it, it runs that fine line between if I say it's real, I better have evidence to support it. And if I say it's not real, I've just alienated half of my audience. So I'm kind of trying to dance along that line. But I think that regardless of what conclusion I reach with all of my evidence, I think if for nothing else, it should get put out perhaps in a condensed version and perhaps a folklore journal or something like that. Because it does, to me, I it might just be an of one, but the I love the idea that I've gone in there and I just look at i'm willing to say i don't know what it is but here's the 30 different things that i know it is not and i think the fact that this story is kind of like what we've been talking about has changed and it's sort of danced around into definite urban legend land it keeps going back and it is one of ohio's longer standing <laughs> ghost story folklorish urban legendy things that i think does deserve to at least be memorialized somewhere. So I think you probably won't hear the last of it from me, but it's, it's just something that it's, I have a love hate relationship with because, (laughs) because part of me wants to figure out what it is. And another part doesn't want to, it's like, let it be this mysterious thing because I, for one, think it would be a very sad world if we knew the answers to everything. You know, that's the thing that keeps out there. So, so part of me is like, if I do figure out what it is, maybe I won't tell everybody, (laughs) but that's just me. Two things, two things. One, I think that's why we only find the answers out when we die. Hopefully we find out all the answers. And two, when you have seen this slide, what do you only go at one particular season? Like, is it always in the summer or the spring or you've gone like in all types of weather and like various stages of foliage <laughs> trees? Yeah, that. And I'm not going to try to say it, but uh, year, uh, year, ra- year I'm round. I'm just thinking of like tinfoil <laughs> trees now. Sorry. Foil, foliage. No, I mean, but it's, it's, a, great, it's a great question. But no, it was so green out there. You can't see anything off the road. Yeah. But uh, in the winter, you would be able to. Yep. Exactly. You're exactly right. No, we go year round and all the, um, including in snow, but definitely also during rain, as I said, rain and during the day to see if, okay, if this light is some sort of weird thing, because the road is, I got on a, it's almost like a gravity hill kind of thing taken there, but with lights, you know, that it's, it's tilted the wrong way. And it is somehow the barn light bouncing off, you know, um, or it is a car light. We, we go during rainy season, broad daylight. 
so that if it is the result of a car headlight somehow, we could see the car because they'd have their headlights on because it's raining. But yeah, we've gone year round. As I said, I, I, I have my uh, in-laws live down there. So it's when you go down there for the weekend or just, you know, for the holidays or something, there's always a trip there. And, uh, and it, it's also funny because I've got, they, neither one of them, my mother-in-law and father-in-law didn't know this story. Really? You know? and, and so they didn't know it. My wife knew part of it and her brother knew part of it, you know? And then I, I was like, well, did you ever go looking for it? And they both were like, yeah, I think we did. My, my wife went looking for it uh, years and years before, like she knew me. So it, it, again, it's a, it's just a neat little thing that, you know, a headless motorcycle ghost has brought my family and I closer together. Oh, that's so sweet. It's like a weird little holiday card for you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Designing the card in my head. So speaking of book projects and investigations, what have you been up to, James? Um, trying to get back out there, you know, it's, um, with the ghosts of Ohio, we've still been doing investigations. It was sort of interesting for a while because we had to, you know, we had mask mandates just like everyone else. And so for a while, um, this was fascinating because we, we kept saying, what can we do to still help people without going out there? And so we did, um, a lot of the work that I do with my group, the Ghosts of Ohio, they're private uh, investigations and in that they're residential, they're private businesses. So we don't make any of that made public, um, but we still want to help them. It, interestingly enough, most of the people that contact us, we walk away with evidence from going in there, you know, because it's they, um, in much the same way as ghost stories have sort of changed over the years, ghosts being in someone's house is once again becoming something they want answers to way back when they just wanted to know that, you know, the ghosts weren't all in their head, you know, mm -hmm. so you could go in and go, you've, you've got mice or something like that. And they were like, oh, okay. Uh, then when the ghost shows hit, people just wanted validation. So that when we would come out and say, you know, it's actually this, they, they weren't happy with that. It's now sort of coming back to, um, it's kind of the pet peeve I have with these ghost reality shows in that, and I get it. They are kind of upping the ante as to what ghost activity is. So ghost activity is now supposed to mean that they're shoving you down the stairs or there's something with evil intent, or you, there's, there's something, sh you know, knocking things off the shelves and things. And why I kind of have a, a, a ghostly bone to pick with that is that, the real ghost encounters that normal people who don't watch all these shows and can't look at it and go, well, that's a little exaggerated. It's for TV. It's for fun. The people who are like, I think I see the ghost of a woman out of the corner of my eye upstairs in this house. We just started renovating and I don't really know what's going on. Those stories are stop people are not telling them as much anymore because they're thinking, well, it can't be a ghost. Cause if that was a ghost, it would be knocking me down the stairs. So when COVID hit and people were spending more time at home, people were contacting us more because all of a sudden they were spending more time in their house. 
Um, now, some of those were because people were spending more time in their house and they were hearing normal noises, but they were normally at work. So uh, there was a lot of this sort of talking through things, but we ended up doing much like we're doing now. We took to the internet. And so we started doing Zoom meetings and doing virtual ghost hunts, if you will. Um, we would go and drop off. We would sanitize and drop off handheld equipment for the owners. And then we would get on a Zoom call and we would show them how to set it up. And we would show them how to walk through. And so we would end up doing almost virtual ghost investigations for these people. And the weird thing is that almost all of the activity stopped when we did the ghost hunch, which I thought was normal because ghosts normally just don't hang around when I'm around because they wait for me to leave. And then they make fun of me behind their ghost backs. But, um, we couldn't quite figure out. We were like, well, these people seem to be telling the truth. You know, what, what is this? And then I'm not sure, but I think there is a large portion of it is because us going out there and saying, here's the equipment became an empowering thing for the homeowner in much the same way when we, um, when people contact us and they say, I don't know what it is, but can you make it leave? And we say, we're not really equipped to do that. We can certainly put you in contact with people, but why don't you start with some sage? And we, we give them printed instructions and we, we show them how to burn the sage. And sage has an, a very powerful effect, even if some of that is psychosomatic. But it's the idea of I'm taking back my house and I'm walking around with this as a family and we're doing something. It seemed like giving these people the ghost hunting equipment was very empowering to them. And they felt as though they were taking back the house for themselves. And so we've been doing a lot of that. We've also had a couple of regular investigations that all during COVID we were doing a lot of our investigations. When we do get something they're ongoing, most of our investigations last five or six times at least that we go out there because again, much like the Oxford one, we go out there and we're like, okay, they reported activity on this date at this time. We start looking at phases of the moon and we start looking at the outside temperature, the inside temperature, who was in the house because we try to make the ghostly fishing a lot better. It's like, let's try to figure out if there is a pattern developing. So we've been doing a lot of that. And now that we're finally able to, um, all the members of the Ghost of Ohio that would be going out into these homes now have been fully vaccinated. I'm disappointed because I've yet to be able to, to whip out my card. I, I just want one opportunity to do that. Well, yes, I am fully, you know, because it's, hey, I earned it, but, but no. Um, but we, so we're starting to get out and do, um, a lot more of the in-person ones, which is just fascinating to finally get back out there. Uh, the first few times that we did it, thankfully, uh, the homeowners did not want to be home for it. Um, we, we, we encouraged them to be there, but they were like, no, 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 you, you guys can come in and do whatever. And I say thankfully because it was the first in-person one that we had done with all of the Ghosts of Ohio members in about over a year and there Ooh. was a lot and there was a lot of wait what is this plug into again so we looked like 
two of the three stooges just waiting for Mo to show up because he was the leader. But we were like, where does this again? So we look like the most inept ghost hunters ever created, you know. So it was good to at least do that side sort of behind the curtain, you know, and um get that out of the way. But no, it it feels great to be getting back out there. The as I mentioned earlier, every fall I do a series of presentations throughout the state where I sort of bring my best of the best evidence and people can share their stories. And I have loved doing that for ages and ages because I believe that a ghost story or in a ghostly encounter is something very personal. And so over the years, I've noticed there are people that want to share their stories and when they come out to one of my presentations, I always say you're among friends now and to get that interaction and have these people tell those stories is something that I didn't realize how much I missed it until it went away. And so this fall, there are still a bunch of presentations that are still on the books that hopefully are going to happen. And it, it'll just be a, an amazing thing to finally see smiling faces again and just are there any close stories. any close to cincinnati or columbus or dayton um i know that i am going to be definitely down around cincinnati oh this is where i feel always strange because i'm like i don't i don't know where they all are <laughs> i always feel like i'm being like you have to go to my website but that's where i go to try to figure it out but i do know that um <laughs> i am at um miami university um, on the, I want in the end of October, the 23rd, 22nd, but it's the, um, Hamilton branch. Oh, the, okay. Yeah. Hamilton, Ohio. Yes. With, um, Verity Lodge, I think. And that, um, and yeah, I, I know that I'm in Bexley for like the sort of Columbus kind of area. There's a couple in Dayton. We try to at least, spread it out where there's at least a couple in Southern, you know, so we try to hit the three major cities around in that area. So Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Columbus. So there's a couple in each so far. And there's still, uh, there's also one that I don't remember where it was supposed to be, but they had to actually go virtual. So we're working on doing something that anybody can actually log on during that and and hear the presentation from the comfort of their own home so i don't know how most of the presentations that i give are very heavy with audio and video they're very av they're big presentations i don't know how much we'd be able to do with sort of a zoom presentation but we're going to try but um but that's also in the works as well and i know that some of the people that have had to push it back till after the first of the year i think it's in February of next year. I think I'm in the Mansfield area for the entire month of February. I think oh, there's wow. like one, one a week. So moving around there. So we're, we're trying to crank it back up. As I said, it's, it's, it's fun to just finally get back out there. And the, the Oxford, if you come to anyone that's in Southern Ohio, the, the Oxford, I always include the Oxford story just because to, tell the story and then show the video where you can see the barn light and you can see the light for yourself. I love doing that because I never look at the screen. I look at the audience and that's where 
they're just like, well, wait, hang on a second. <laughs> because yeah. they think they're just going to see a little flashing light. And it's like, you just wait. And then I always end it with, but that was my experience. You guys go out and experience yourself and figure out what it is. Because that's that's what the fun is, to go out and have these personal experiences. Mm -hmm. And I can say, as somebody who has been to one of your presentations, I think I've been to a few now, they are fantastic. So go do it. And I actually looked up on your website. You'll be in the Dayton area on October 5th at 6.30 p.m., the new Lebanon branch, the Dayton Metro Library, which is in new Lebanon, Ohio. And then also the My Strange and Spooky World, an evening with author and paranormal researcher James A. Willis will be at the Miami University Middletown campus. Middletown, there we go. Very close to Hamilton. Well, that sounds um, like we could kill a couple birds with one stone. We could visit the Sorg Opera House and see the presentation. There we go, yeah. So I think I think that that sounds like a date. Yeah. All go. yeah. Yes, yes. So James, I want to ask you, what is Halloween like at your house? halloween's for amateurs um no it's i want to teach the entire month (laughs) halloween Um, is for amateurs that's great yeah yeah, the the um it's interesting because the prior to um my daughter's birth 10 years ago it was an ordinary night um i you know, hand out candy and do those sort of things. And then when my daughter was born, it all, I actually took the night off because it was all about, because that was the one thing I wanted to make sure I, I didn't want to lose myself in all this weird stuff. So Halloween was, that was all about Courtney, my daughter. And then mm-hmm. last year she, um, she thought that this was last year was going to be her last year for trick-or-treating. She thought she was getting too old. And then she got really sad because she was like, you know, this is like my last year and now I can't do anything. And and then I lovingly put my foot in my mouth and brought up the fact that in a former life, many, many, many moons ago, I used to design um, haunted house attractions. And so my daughter decided we should do one last year. So I said, okay, are you sure? But because um, if this works right, you're going to have to do another one. And she said, yes. And what I did was try to use that as a teaching moment. So I said, well, what you need to do is you need to write a backstory. You need to write the story of this haunted attraction. How does it work? Who are the characters? And then you have to make a storyline going. And then you have to create the scenes for each one of these things. And she dove right into it and she created um adam's estates was the thing it was an old country hospital um which came in very handy when COVID hit and we were like how are we going to do this and i still don't know how but um we ended up it had to be a private invite only because we Mm -hmm. could only you had to show up with people that you were staying in the same house with at a special time Um, you had to wait outside six feet apart in the cemetery. And when your appointed time came, the doors to Adam's estate opened. You went inside the door locked behind you. You went through the entire haunt. And then when you left, 
we took five extra minutes to run through and sanitize all the touch surfaces. And then we would let another group in. And the trick was, is that since this was an old country hospital hospital, you had to keep your mask on the whole time. Otherwise the spirits would know that you didn't belong there and they would get you. So, um, it worked. I don't know how we did it. And this year it's grown. It's quadrupled in size. It's Willis woods. <laughs> um, it, it is now basically a 15 minute walk through the haunted woods. There is an entire backstory. There will be fingers crossed. Um, it is a going to be open to, Anybody who comes during the hours, um, we are asking people if you're at all considering coming that you send me a note so I can put you on the mailing list just so that if they do change the rules, then we can say like, okay, if you're still wanting to come, you're going to have to come at this time and do this. But the te- you also get teasers that now go out. So there's been two teasers so far, which may or may not give a hint as to what you would encounter in this haunt that has got 35 animatronics and Whoa. six, Woo. six real actors. So yeah, it's a, wow. That a very, yeah. That was a very long way. So if the, <gasps> so your you're right. it here, isn't for amateurs, you're like a professional Halloween. Yeah. Person. Yeah. It's well, that's <laughs> no, why I, I want to get on this mailing list. I want to read you, the teasers. Yeah. You you are more than welcome to just shoot me a good uh, email address and I'll, I'll get you guys all on it. I'll uh, I'll send you both because I think we're we're two teasers into it so far. So I'll send oh, you the awesome. And, and now you that only you, do great. it on Halloween, or do you do it like the weekend before? Or it's it's it's, it's one night once. only. Yeah, it'll be this one is going to be on the thirtieth, the Saturday before, and what we we're having to do it is we haven't determined the hours that we're doing it yet because we're trying to gauge how many people are interested in coming. And then if the rules do change, we've got to see how long we need to do it, but it's, so it'll just be on the 30th um, during the set hours. The other reason that we do it during the set hours is so that um, we can buy off all of our neighbors, even though we live out in the country and we've got, you know, acres around us. It's um, we do go around and we're friends with all of our neighbors, but we let them low know uh, as well as the, the local authorities. <laughs> hey, if you hear somebody <laughs> screaming <laughs> at about eight 30 or something like that, or see what looks like a giant bonfire, you know, it's, it's just us, but it's, it's, it's a lot of fun because my, um, my hippie sister, Donna, uh, who basically raised me and, and Halloween was our thing growing up. She's coming down from Pennsylvania. My other sister from uh, New York is coming down. So they will be actresses there. Oh, um, oh, and, oh, wow. and my, my Oxford in-laws are going to be in the haunt as well. And uh, so it's, so it's still become a weird haunted <laughs> attraction thing that, yeah, it's uh it's going oh, on. that cool. sounds excellent. Yeah, yeah, you guys get me. You guys get me email addresses, and I'll uh, I'll get yeah. you on the list. It, oh. It's worth it. Again, it's you know you'd have to make a night of it if you're going to come up because it's it's a ten or fifteen minute walk through this thing, depending how fast oh, wow. you run. But um, <laughs> so it's kind of far just for that. But if you made a night of it, it would. It's we don't. Um, we also shied away since it was designed for kids her age. So there is very 
little blood and gore. We don't have oh, chainsaws. We're not I appreciate chasing people. That. But there <laughs> there will be things there will be yeah. things coming after you, but they won't ever cross the line. We don't That's touch great. anybody. So it's yeah, if you ever want to see the mind inside the mind of my ten year old daughter. That's so oh, cool. that's awesome. This is that it, is yeah. wonderful. I, yeah. I love that. I think the last time you were on, I did mention that my dad and I used to build haunted you houses did. in yes, our basement. And it's one of the sweetest memories I have with my dad besides fishing is just coming up with these different. We didn't have the complex storylines. We were just like, and the peeled grapes are going to go here and <laughs> we're going to dangle the tales of dead squirrels over here and <laughs> like that but it, it's still a sweet memory so i'm glad you're doing something with courtney that is so constructive and creative i love that yeah yeah you know, i always try to i try to turn the things that i do even with the haunted house thing i try to turn it into how could she can apply it so a lot of the you're going to walk through what you think are woods, but you're going to be going through tunnels and, and different things. So a lot uh, we're building sets and some of it, we are building out of like PVC pipe and things like that. So what I'm having her measure things out and then going, okay, so it's this long, we've got 10 foot tall pieces of PVC. How much do we have to cut to make this and this? So I try to, and plus I'm bad at math anyway, but, um, <laughs> It's it's trying to just, you know, she gets more fun out of it when she can walk away from it and going like, oh, okay, I see what I did there, you know. Yeah. So having her create characters and also with, she is in both this year and last year she was and will be one of the tour guides, but she will be in character and she will base be based on one of the characters in her backstory. But the fact that she is having to point out things and do stuff, I think I can tell that it's helped her with her. She now doesn't worry about speaking in public and she's become more, she's coming out of her shell, you know, where mm -hmm. I told her, okay, if you're going to be in charge of this, they got to listen to you, you know, and when your friends are helping, they have to listen to you. So it's, it's fun to have these little sort of, life lessons when you're talking about how you're going to scare <laughs> all these people. Thank you for joining us <laughs> on the show again. This was wonderful. You yeah, are very so great. welcome. Thank yeah. you for yeah. having me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the photos of this, the, the Willis woods and how mm -hmm. it gets built. And then also later in the year, your queen collection as it goes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's that. That will take, <gasps> That will take probably just as long. That will never end. That. Yeah. <laughs> no. But <laughs> yeah. But we look forward to hearing more from you and all your new books that come in the future and just your haunts around Ohio. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining us again. You Jane. are very welcome. Yeah. And we hope you guys. come back on again. Yeah. You know where to find me. So okay, yeah. great. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. And for everyone here. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities, the Hometown Haunts Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Cloco. For Christina and Jen, <laughs> good night and stay weird. Bye. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, James. <laughs> <laughs>